This has been a, a weekend of activity here in the church. As many of you know, Ken and Michelle have been ministering. What I felt to do this morning before they come is give them a proper introduction. Some of you may have known them for years. I've known them now for since 2003. But I wanted to do, give you an introduction and impart to you a little bit of history. And the reason why I have been doing this in different contexts here in the church is because it's your history. And I hope you can appreciate that where we are today is in part because of your history and where we will go is in large part due to that history. And that's why I wanted to introduce Ken and Michelle. So if you were here this past weekend, Michelle did a fantastic job going through a little bit by testimony explaining how to hear the voice of God. And she detailed a number of different ways that God spoke to them as a couple and individually about the call to come to the United States to lead this work. And it was very interesting from a personal level, of course, and it was also interesting from a teaching perspective to hear the word of God. And she hinted at it because that wasn't really the point of why she was explaining it. But to hear the voice of God, especially about the call of God, is significant for this reason. It will be tested. It will not make sense. Many things in your life, in your ministry, will not make sense. And in the end, that's all you have. That's all you have to stand on in faith. And that's the value of hearing the voice of God, to hear the word especially of a call, because in the end, and they've testified to that in, the, in their history of their time here, that's all you have to fall back on. And that's the significance of this word. So she detailed that more from a teaching, but did not tell you the complete history. I'm not going to tell you the history. All I can tell you is my perspective on that history, is that it came with much sacrifice. She talked about family, her, the importance of family, and what they had to lay down to be obedient to that call. And we got to see Marie and I, as we have just been alongside them for this last 15 plus years, have seen the cost. And the cost has been great. And not many of you know what that cost because that's not really the point. They willingly paid that price. And, you know, one of the things that I just give you a little bit of history is that they arrived on these shores and pretty much immediately ministered. I think it was the first Sunday in March of 2003, if I recall correctly. And they ministered, it was the first, it was the second Sunday we were at the Hampton Inn in Leesburg. It was the second public service that we had. And the following Sunday, we didn't have the service because it snowed. Which, to, if you know Ken, you know that there is nothing that is going to deter him. But the snow did. And he woke up fully expecting that, well, church is happening, but church was not happening because we received a lot of snow. And he didn't know what to do because it was a foreign concept. I mean, he came from South Africa, so the concept of you cancel church because of snow is not really in the realm of any reality. But it was actually a fantastic thing for them because it was, enabled them just to rest. And I want you to understand a little bit about Ken, which is why I'm giving this introduction. Nothing deters him. Not sadness, not emotion, not loss, not pain. They paid a price physically, emotionally, relationally, 
that's just the reality of ministry. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time with them over the years, so I have a very unique perspective. I don't know all that they've done, all their complete history, but I know what he carries. And Clayton has mentioned that, you know, when he was young, he was probably less than angelic, didn't quite meet that standard. And I think all of you who know Ken knows that he is one of the most gentle and humble individuals in ministry that you can ever come across. But I've heard Clayton detail a time that he provoked his dad to anger. And the naughty side of me really is interested because I've never seen Ken angry. I never have. And Clayton referred to it as the purple cloud. But I tell you that not for the humor of it, but I, I'm here to attest to you what he carries. And it's, I'm interested of what would actually be unleashed should he actually be angry, because I know what he carries. I know what changes in the physical atmosphere in this space when he speaks. That's what I know. And I'm, what I'm here to tell you today is that he is undeterred in what he desired to see implanted in the foundation of this church, which is to see the presence of God become a reality, to see the foundations of this church built on the things of the Spirit in an entirely uncompromising way. There are things that he's more than capable of teaching, but what he desires most of all is to see the reality because I know what rises to the level of righteous indignation in him and as them as a couple is to see people continue to be enslaved by the evil one. And he desires to see them free. That is what they put into this church. That is why you see what you see today. And that will color our future as a body. And I want you to understand that. So Ken is sitting here, which is fantastic. And I'm going to read something over you, Ken. I don't get to do this often. And I did this actually in my home years and years ago. We had a an elders meeting. It was in my home. And I just felt to read it to you again because it expresses my heart for you and your ministry. And I trust it'll be our heart as a church for them. It's from Psalm 20. And it says, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving powers of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Ken Michelle, why don't you come up? We'd love to just pray for you. We desire to honor you. Would you stand as we receive them? First of all, Ken and Michelle, personally, it's been a privilege. I have walked a road with them much of what is my life is because of them. I'm not too sure what to do after that, but good morning. 
Thank you. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, Marie. Thank you to everyone. I can honestly say that none of this was possible without a number of other people. And obviously without God. I stand here, no merit on myself, none whatsoever. It's just the goodness of God, that's all it is. It's just the work of God, that's all it is. Uh, I actually want to talk on an encounter this morning, so... <laughs> Yeah, good luck. <laughs> but I can honestly say with all my heart, I stand here, myself and my wife, I include my wife, not because of any merit from us. It's nothing we've done to achieve this. It's just purely, purely being the goodness of God. It's God who's done the work. It's God who called. It's God's faithfulness. It's God's leading. It's God's guiding. God dealing with the junk that I had to deal with inside my heart and still busy, he's doing that but it's also because God brings you to a group of people that it's not a work you do by yourself he knits your hearts with people and it's God that does it and he puts you in a team and it's that team that does what's needed to be done and so I want to thank those people and some of them are here this morning. And so thank you. Thank you for receiving us. This uh, African-American. Because <laughs> I'm an American now, but come from Africa. And um, yeah, just thank you for receiving us. Somebody with a different accent. So thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, Marie. Uh, very, very appreciative. Thank you very much. Okay, and I also want to thank the leadership for the privilege. I don't lead this church, I'm just part of the church, that's all it is, but I have the privilege occasionally of just ministering the word, and it's a privilege, so I want to thank the leadership for that, I really do. I honor you and uh, respect you guys. I wanted to speak on encounter, because we spoke on the gifts of God this weekend, but I want to speak on the giver of the gifts. To have an encounter with the giver of the gifts, because that's where it starts. And I just jotted down notes late last night and early this morning, so I'm still trying to process some of the stuff that I feel that's in my heart, so I'm not too sure if I can articulate it. But right through Scripture, from Genesis right through to Revelation, we see people being encountered by God. We see Moses had some amazing encounters at the burning bush and on the mount, and what they did in him and through him we see Ezekiel, and he saw wheels within wheels. We see Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6. He says he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he said, woe is me. He has this great prophet. In the first five chapters, he's saying, woe is Israel, woe is that. And then he sees God, and he says, woe is me. It's amazing. Uh, just right through the word of God, you just see people. Paul himself, but Paul the apostle. He had many encounters, but he lists two particular encounters. He re goes back to them from time to time and just repeats them and reminds not only himself, but his hearers of this is a work of God. This is not a work of Paul. There's nothing to do with him. He just happened to be the vessel. That's all it was, and the call upon his life. And then as we look through church history, we see Wesley. Wesley, who had such a heart after God, but he needed to be encountered by God to do what he did. 
And if you read any of his history, you see that he was pursuing God and doing certain things. He was even in ministry. But it's only then that God encountered him and it said his heart became like liquid. Just liquid and it changed him. And it was through the relationship that he met somebody from the Moravian church in those days and just had a profound impact upon him. Then we see Dale Moody. Dale Moody was also in ministry and we had these two elderly ladies in the 80s that were praying for him just about every day, even while he was preaching and saying, Moody, we're praying for you. And he didn't understand it. And then a little while later, the, the, literally the power of God hit this man and it changed him completely. He said he didn't do anything different, but the results were different. Just because of an encounter with God. We see Smith Wigglesworth, a man who had no, he couldn't read, he couldn't write. His wife taught him to read and write. He stuttered. And they started a little mission and they were just helping out the poor. And occasionally his wife used to preach and then he would try and preach, but he couldn't. The words couldn't come out of his mouth. And, but you could just see God was pursuing him as he was pursuing God. And then somebody came all the way over to LA to the uh, Azusa Street Revival and got touched there and was spent about a year then went back to England and happened to be a person that prayed for Smith Wigglesworth and the presence of God overcame this man and changed him for good and after that encounter he went home and he said to his, he called her Polly he said Polly I will preach on Sunday I'm a different man and she said Smithy we will see we will see <laughs> that's what she said and he got up at the mission the Bradford mission and Polly started to hear her husband preach and she said, you are different, Smithy, you are different. Just because God had empowered him. God had, he had, had an encounter with God. And you can go right through, you can go through Charles Finney. Charles Finney was an amazing man, Charles Finney, in uh, the revival up in, uh, up in um, England, New England area, up there, and just what God did with him and uh, he was a lawyer and we know that and then God called him and but he knew he needed more and one day took a walk into the woods and in the woods he too said it's like my heart turned to liquid and he had these this power surges come through him he thought he was going to die and he said God if you don't stay your hand I'm gonna die but it changed him completely and utterly changed him and God then knitted his heart with a man called Daniel Nash Daniel Nash, not many people know who Daniel Nash is. Daniel Nash had a little church just up the way of 50 people, but he was in a fervent prayer. And it was through Daniel Nash, everybody reads about what came through funny, but it was Daniel Nash that was in the cellar of homes praying 24-7 for funny. For seven years, he used to go two, three weeks ahead of where funny was going to go because they now became friends and he would knock on a door and say to the lady, do you have a room for me to stay in? Him and another man, I can't remember the other man's name. And she would say, I just have a little basement, but it's very damp and it's very dark and there's nothing in there. And he says, that's fine. And he would go in there for three weeks and it'd come out. Well, Freddie would be preaching. And when Daniel Nash died, three months later, the revival stopped. And Finney then went and started a college and started to preach in a college. But he stopped his itinerary ministry because he knew without Daniel Nash, nothing's going to happen. So God puts you in team. That's what I'm saying. D.L. Moody met a person that was incredibly gifted on the piano, a psalmist. And they used to go together. 
That's what I'm saying. Although God empowers you, you, you are encountered by Him, but He connects you with other people. Because it can never be by one individual. It has to be by people, teams, groups. There were other people that just came along and financed certain people. But you don't hear about those people. But they, their fruit is just as real as those that were up front. That's all I'm trying to say. So that's what I want to talk about. Because when, if we as a church are going to impact this culture and the city with which we live, we need a God encounter. We, not the city, we. <laughs> the church needs a God encounter. And so um, whether that encounter comes through truth, because it can be a truth encounter. Uh, Bill Johnson, in one of his books I read, he had a couple of encounters, and one of them was Isaiah 60. And he said the word just exploded in him, absolutely, and it changed him. So there can be truth encounters. But when you have a truth encounter, because Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. John chapter 8. But the truth is a person. So truth encounter is actually encountering a person, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But it, it comes through truth. It comes through his word. But it's the person behind, if you understand what I'm trying to say. And so we can never box God how he chooses to do it and when he chooses to do it and the time and the day. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to stir your heart to say, God, encounter my life. Encounter my life. I desperately need you to encounter my life. Even if you've been walking in for years, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And he needs to put that desire in you, and I'm going to touch on that. And he puts that desire in you because nothing comes in a vacuum. It starts in a place and whatever the case is. And the reason why I'm speaking like this is because when we handed the church over, I didn't realize how tired I was, if I have to be honest. So, and we needed to time out to break, but I had to have an operation and we had to put things in place and whatever the case is. And then we started to minister. We got wonderfully just the privilege of going into other places. And I realized that I was beginning to minister and I'm beginning to see God do things, but there was something that I knew wasn't quite right yet. I just said, God, do something. And God is very faithful. It's extremely faithful. And I found that you can live on the anointing and it's given you for a while, but it only lasts a certain while. And he started to stir my heart afresh of late and just to encounter him afresh and encounter him new. And it's out of that that I'm speaking because I'm just aware of it. God, I need a fresh encounter with you. I really did. I really do. Not that I really do. <laughs> because when God encounters you, when the revelation of who God is touches your life, and I don't mean touches your life, I mean you get really encountered by Him, everything changes. Your thought life changes. Your worldview changes. How you see Him changes. How you see other people changes. You begin to get a heart for people. You didn't even know you could have a heart for people. That's what begins to happen. It's everything changes. You want to put, start putting things right. When you're truly encountered by God, you actually want to put things right that you possibly made wrong. That's what genuine repentance is. Paul spoke about it. There's worldly repentance and godly repentance. Godly repentance is you go back and you begin to say, I'm sorry. It was not right. That's how you know how genuine it will be. You start to put things right. You start to put things in order. Because he's touched your heart. He's touched your life. 
the God of all the universe has touched your life. You cannot remain the same. It's impossible. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. And I found the people as I read and as I came to understand, these weren't unusual people. They weren't very gifted people. All the people I mentioned were just normal down-to-earth people. But the gift that they got was God himself. That's what they got. They got God himself, even, even in their idiosyncrasies. And trust me, I have a few. The older you get, they seem to come to the fore a little bit. Trust me. They do. They just come to the fore. I, uh, I don't want to mention somebody else's name because I saw he was a little bit like me. But my hands, I don't like grease on my hands. Or, so even when I eat, I have a pile of napkins and I touch food and I've got to wipe my hands, touch food. It's just my idiosyncrasy, you know. He is a little bit the same because, you know, it's just, it's just the way it. I can't explain it. It just got passed on. <laughs> Pray for you two ladies. Yes, I agree. And even despite our idiosyncrasies, it's, it's not about that. It's about God being encountered by God. And you will find that when God truly encounters you, the love you have for God trumps all things. It trumps all things. Everything else seems to diminish. Everything else seems to begin to lay down. Everything that you put your importance is no longer as important as it used to be. Everything you thought was that is no longer. It begins to be laid down because the love of God has captured your heart. And it trumps all things in life. Passion born out of an encounter with God cannot be put out. It cannot. Circumstances will never put that out. The flame might dip slightly, but it will never be put out. Because uh, it's not dependent on outside circumstances. It's explosive. It becomes explosive in you. That's why the disciples said in Acts chapter 4, I think it's 420, the disciples said, when they tried to stop them, they said, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen. We cannot help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. We cannot help ourselves. That's what Jesus said, when power comes upon you in Acts chapter 1, 8, you will be my witnesses. It's not that you will have to witness. You will be the impact that I had on you. That's what you will become. You won't have to do it. It's who you will become. So you don't have to try it. It's just who you are. That's what Jesus was saying. You will be my witnesses. You won't have to witness for me. You won't have to try and do anything. You will just be that. And you won't be able to help yourself. And despite the opposition that came their way. These were the disciples that were hiding away. That were afraid. That were locked for fear of the, the rulers and the Jews. That's what had happened. But when they had this encounter with God, it changed everything. I mean, they got to put in jail. They didn't say, God, why are we in jail? They just said, Lord, give us greater boldness to preach your word. Circumstances cannot douse that flame. Encounters are wonderful, but they are a death sentence. Because you'll never be the same again. Clayton said it earlier, you'll never be the same again. As I said, things that were of great importance. Paul said, I was a Jew of Jews, I was zealous. You go read it in Philippians chapter 3, I think it is. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. What I esteemed of great value is now pure dung. That's what he said. Everything I count as just for the sake of knowing him.
because he was encountered by God in a very, very, very profound way. And when God encounters you, pride begins to go out the window. And I want to read a passage of scripture out of this. This is the Passion Translation. It's a wonderful translation. Clayton actually suggested I read it, so I thought I'd better listen to the leader of the church. (laughs) And this is what he said. Paul said, although it may not accomplish the thing, I need to move on and boast about supernatural visions and revelations of the Lord. Someone I'm acquainted with who's in union with Christ was swept away 14 years ago in an ecstatic experience. He was taken into the third heaven, but I'm not sure if it was in his body or out of his body. Only God knows. And I know that this man, again, I'm not sure if it was in his body or out of his body, God knows, was caught up into an ecstatic experience and brought into paradise where he overheard many wondrous and inexpressible secrets that were so sacred that no mortal is permitted to repeat them. I'm ready to boast of such an experience, but for my own good I refuse to boast unless it concerns my weakness. However, if I were to boast, it wouldn't be ridiculous at all, for I would be speaking the truth. Yet I will refrain, lest others think higher of me than what I demonstrate with my life and my teaching. The extraordinary level of the revelations I received is no reason for anyone to exalt me. Because it wasn't about him, it was God in him. It was God who did in him. For this is why a thorn in my flesh was given to me, the adversary's message sent to harass me, keeping me from becoming arrogant. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weakness, for when I'm weak, I sense I'm more deeply the might and power of Christ living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but I delight For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, then I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ. I'm yet made stronger for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. Boasting just goes out the window. Because you know it's not you. (laughs) It's just not you. It's God. It's a work of God. It's not a work of Ken or a work of Paul. It's nothing I mustered up. They're a gift, as I said. They really are a gift, an encounter from God. But we don't dictate the terms. We don't dictate the time. But he will encounter us if he so desired. And you can't say, Lord, I want you to encounter me, but I don't want to shake. (laughs) Or Lord, I want you to encounter me, but that tongue thing. Hmm, I don't know about that tongue thing. We don't dictate the terms. But when he encounters you, you don't worry about what happens. Because it's nothing that surpasses that. We really don't negotiate the terms. But as I said, it's not in a vacuum. He starts a process in your life. And I think he's starting that in some of your lives. That's why I'm speaking about this. Where he puts a desire in you. You don't know it at the time. So I'm going to share the three encounters that God has brought my way that changed me completely. That's why I say a stranger, not of my own merit. And for some of you, you might have heard some of them, so forgive me. The first one was 
when I got saved. It was very dramatic for me. It doesn't mean your salvation wasn't less dramatic. It's I grew up in a home that we never went to church. We never spoke about God. It's a dysfunctional house, unfortunately. My father committed suicide when I was three or four years old. He was an alcoholic and he gassed himself. So I never knew him. But I always wanted to know him. But when my mother remarried and the man she remarried was quite a domineering, hard man, broken man, I understand it now. I didn't understand it then. And kids were to be seen and not heard. We sat around the table to eat. We weren't allowed to speak. But one night I was in bed. I was about seven or eight years old. And I heard my stepfather and my mother talking about going to a second show driving theater. You go sit in your car and you go watch movies. And as a seven-year-old, because we never went out, we had no money, we were very poor. It was foreign for us to go out. We just, we just didn't have the money. They had got somebody to come and babysit. In South Africa, you have somebody like what we call a maid. That's just the way it was when I grew up, and she would come and sit and watch us. But I woke up and I overheard them speaking about it. It was about 9 o'clock at night. And for some reason, I, don't, I now know, now it was God, but I didn't know then. I longed with all my heart in me to go to movies. Who wouldn't as a seven-year-old? When we had no TV, had no TV in those days. We never went out. So I said, God, if you let my stepfather walk in here, I'll pretend I'm sleeping. And he comes and wakes me up and asks me to go to movies. I'll do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> That's what I said. Don't pray that prayer unless you mean it. A seven-year-old, I had no clue. Going to movies trumped everything at that stage. But I said, God, please, please let him wake him. I'm, I'm with all what I knew at that stage. Please. But for him to do that, it would like having snow in July. That's how impossible it was. And lo and behold, he walked in. And he woke me up. He said, you want to come to second? It was just me, not the other four, because we are five of us. So I was so excited. I climbed in the car and I fell asleep. I don't know what the heck. <laughs> Fast forward. I'm 33 years old. Doing fairly well in business. Barely passed. Grade 12. We call it matric there. Just got through. I mean just got through. But anyway. Started to do well in business. All I did was play sport. Got married. Lived like a bachelor. Had two kids. Lived like a bachelor. But I was always out, either with the boys or playing sport. My wife was very gracious to me. And uh, we moved from Durban to, from Joburg to Durban. I was a profuse gambler, very heavy into gambling, horses. Was, uh, gambling is an addiction. And uh, I didn't know it then. I used to eat, sleep, dream horse racing. But I used to put a lot of money on these horses. I could put $2,000 on one horse, easy, just like that. It rains in those days. And I wasn't earning a lot of money. We moved down to Durban, and she went to a little church down the road. She's got her own story why she did that. And she came home one day and said, the church can no longer do the youth. Can we do the youth? Now, understand, I hadn't put foot in that church. I had never opened a Bible. I'd been to church once because the pastor said, if you want to get married, you've got to come to church. So I went on Sunday, Saturday, married us, and never went back because you're just not interested and I said, yeah, sure, we can do the youth. I love young people. So we started to do the youth in our home. 
We started with eight and it grew just by the grace of God to over 120 youth in three years. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Every Friday I made sure I was home by a certain time. Sometimes, unfortunately, I'd had a little bit of liquid in me because of the business lunches. I'm just being honest. But we had great fun. We used to play touch rugby, which would be like uh, flag football in my lounge. We used to have water fights in my lounge. We used to do, we used to move the furniture. I remember bringing the hose in one time. But anyway, my <laughs> poor wife, she was, that's why maybe the kids loved it. I'm not sure. And these poor young teenagers would come to me and just say, ask me about God. And I had no clue. I had no understanding. I just said, don't worry, God loves you. That's, I don't know what else to tell these young people. I honestly didn't. But God was working. Despite me, God was working. He really was. It was unbelievable. The grace of God is astounding people. It's astounding. So I thought... I suppose I better go attend the church. They must be taking the youth. So occasionally I would go, but I really wasn't interested. And then she came home from the church one day and said, this church is going on a retreat. Can we go on the retreat? I said, no ways. The FA Cup finals that weekend, it was like the, like the Super Bowl for me at that stage. The Comrades Marathon, it's a big race. But she is convincing. And so... <laughs> 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 Although the Lord was using her to convince me, so I said, sure, we can go. By that time, we just got a TV. So uh, the first thing I did, I took my TV and I put it in my trunk of my car to make sure I could watch the sport. That's what happened, I've been honest. So when we got there, I spent the whole day trying to find an aerial so I could watch, but anyway. But that particular four-day at that family retreat, uh, a guy from YWAM, I don't remember him, he was preaching. And on the Saturday night, he said, if anybody wants prayer, come forward. And I still said to Michelle, these people are brainwashed. But I went forward. And I said to Michelle, you better come with me. I'm a little shy and embarrassed. So she came with me. Two young guys came up to me, mid-20s. And the one said, what do you want prayer for? I said, I don't know. So he started to pray for me. And as he started to pray for me, I could feel the tears beginning to well up in the corner of my eyes. So I was very shy. I put my head down. So he turned to his friend and said to his friend, why is he crying? So he said, well, you pray for him, because when I pray for him, he cries. So, <laughs> so the other guy prayed for me, and then when I went to sit down, I realized for the first time in my life there was a God, but I did not know him. That's what struck me. And that was in May 1985. And from May 1985 to May 1986, I had a war rage inside me. One half of me wanted a now to get to know God, and the other half of me didn't. You understand what I'm talking about? The war raged in me, but literally. I thought if I go to college or to theological school, or I'll be, get to know God. You don't get to know God that way, trust me. Because all of a sudden, the desire came, and I knew it wasn't from me, it was from him. But I didn't understand at the time. So she came home from church again one day and said, again on a retreat a year later, and I said, all right, we're going to go. This time I was keen to go. There was a man from the vineyard um, group of churches, a guy called Alexander Fenter. We called him Bushy. He was preaching it, and it was a four-day as well. And on the Friday morning while he was preaching, he stopped. He was telling a story about Lazarus. But this time I was listening. He was very humorous, so he caught my attention. And he stopped literally in the middle of his preaching. He said, I think God wants to deal with people. And so there were about this many people there. So I stood up. Because I went, what's going to happen now? I was very keen to see. And as I sat down, 
God got hold of me. But how many of you got hold of me? I didn't cry little tears. I broke and broke. You know when you cry a lot, your nose runs? And I can still see today these long strains. <laughs> they were long strains. They were forming a little puddle at the bottom there because I was sitting down by now and I had my eyes and I could see these long strains. Eh? But it didn't bother me. Eh? You don't worry what people think. Eh? Probably about 40, 45 minutes. I just wept and wept. Because in my mind's eye, I saw Christ down across from me. And it broke me. Absolutely broke me. Broke me. You know when you're not nice to someone, or you hurt them, but they just love you back? That's the feeling I got. It just loved me my whole life. And it just broke me. It just broke me. And eventually, after I got my emotions back, I said to Michelle, you know what? You look the same, but you look different. I looked outside. I said, everything looks the same, but it's different. It's clearer. It's sharper. It's got color. That day, I fell in love with Jesus Christ. Didn't understand it. Didn't have no clue what had happened, but I just knew something had happened changed my life people when bought a bible on the monday and i read it from that day on just fell in love with the word man that struggles academically all of a sudden now wants to read i mean figure that out it's just god it's nothing more than god and nine months later we were in full-time youth ministry god just put a fast forward and just but you've got to take and you've got to steward those things, those encounters. You've got to steward those encounters. And I learned how to steward that encounter. And I'm going to share something and I hope I'm not going to offend people. When I got married to Michelle, she was a virgin. I tried my ways, but she, I don't know. Look at me. How can she resist me? But she did. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Sorry. If I hope I'm not offending anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so she said if you know if ever you have an affair obviously whatever the case is and unfortunately before I got saved I did so now we're three months into full time youth ministry loving what I'm doing three months and I get this impression go tell your wife I thought it was a devil because I realized I came to understand when something like that happens the devil's going to come and try and wreck it I said, no, I'm not going to do that. But it wouldn't leave me. So I said, God, if that's you, <laughs> you have to let me, shall bring it up. And you have to prepare us. But she's got to bring it up. So a couple of nights go by. We're in our Cape Town house. It's July. It's winter there. It's cold. We sit in front of the fire of Clayton and Chantella in bed, sleeping. It's about 10.30 at night. It's amazing you can remember certain things. And we're talking, and then there's silence, and then Michelle turns to me, and she says, oh, by the way, and I knew it was coming. You see what happens, people. When God gets hold of your heart, he deals with every aspect of it. And there couldn't be any shadows yet for what was going to happen in the future. And God had to say, clear the shadow out. Guess who prayed for who? I didn't end up praying for her. She ended up praying for me. Isn't that amazing? Because God has already spoken to her about it. That's what I mean. He begins, you learn to steward. He begins to speak to you. And he begins to put things right and begins to put things in order. I'll hurry up the next two experiences. Anyway, fast forward about a year. We go back to that same retreat place. I thought God lived there. <laughs> I did. 
about a year later, we traveled all the way from Cape Town up to Durban in this car, 18 hours. So I remember traveling through the night, very tired. We got there. The same guy was preaching. It was a year later. And sometime in that weekend, he says, if anybody's just gone into full-time ministry, can you come forward? So I look at Michelle. I don't know if that means us or not, because you know, I didn't go to Bible school or anything. So I look at the pastor of the church. He says, no, that's you. So I said, all right, let's go forward. So Michelle and I go forward, and we're standing there. Again, another two young guys come forward to us, and they got about probably from here to the wall away, that distance. And say anything. They didn't do anything. They didn't nothing. They were just walking towards us to help us. Next thing, I was on the floor. And as I hit the floor, I started to shake, but shake violently. Like a fish out of water. My head came up, then my feet came up, then my head came up, then my feet came up. And I said to Michelle, I'm shaking. I don't understand this. I can't control it. I'm shaking violently. And I felt inside me, raise your hand. So I'm lying on the floor shaking. I raised my hands. And in these three fingers and these three fingers, it felt like somebody put them in the wall socket. Just the electricity went through it. It changed me again. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the reason being is because in that year after I got saved, all I read about what Jesus did, and I desire developed in me, and I said, God, we've got to be able to do this stuff. That's what the desire that entered. Fast forward about six months later, we sit in counseling. I'm coming to an end. We're counseling a young girl. And I asked her a question. I said, by the way, how was your relationship with your father? And she told us. And then we carried on counseling her, and then she had to go. So Michelle busy walking her out. And as she walked out, she stuck her head around the door, and she said to me, Ken, by the way, how was your relationship with your dad? And her and Michelle walked. And all the years wanting to know my earthly father just came to the fore. All those years of just that incredible desire to say, I wonder what my dad was like. The father heart of God just came upon me and I just wept and wept and wept because I felt the father heart of God like I'd never felt before. Just the father changed me again, completely changed me changed the way I pastored from that day. It changed the way I was a father to my kids. It changed the way I husband. Yet I was already saved. It just changed me. And I'm just saying this just to show to you I didn't do it. God encountered me and in that encounter he put something in me that became who I am. That's what I'm trying to say. And so wherever we go minister people come to me and say Ken you're like a father to us. Because it's him. That's what encounters do, people. Those three encounters changed me. I've had little smaller ones, but those three in particular. So some practical steps. If it's really your heart, and say, God, I need an encounter. Spend some time with the Lord and reflect on His faithfulness in your life. Make a note of your personal breakthroughs you have experienced over the years. Meditate on them. Give him thanks and give him praise for it. It's important to keep these. So next time life comes at you, the impossibilities come at you, you can fend them off because you can say, this is what God has done. This is the faithfulness of my Father in heaven. Amen. It's very key, people very key. This will help launch you into the next step that God wants you to go.
if you've lost your first love, I encourage you to go back to what you did when you first got saved. So Revelation said, go and do the deeds. He says, this I have against you. You've lost your first love. Talking to the church. And he says, therefore, return to the deeds you did at first. Go back to the things you did right in the beginning, whatever they were. For me, it was the word, and for me, it was reading testimonies of people that God had used. The Smith Wigglesworth, John G. Lakes. That's what fires me up. Go back to those things. Pray for his goodness to overwhelm you. Pray for his goodness to overwhelm you. And then pray, and it's not the only one, but pray Psalm 86. And I'll read it to you. This was David's prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. Give me singleness of heart that I might fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. Pray that prayer many times. That's all that's in you. And then finally, have some people lay hands on you. Whoever you feel, you need to have people lay hands on you because something can be imparted. They can't give you the gift or the encounter, but it begins to prepare something in you. It begins to shift stuff and move stuff. So it facilitates that encounter that's coming because you want to receive the giver of the gifts before you receive the gifts. And I honestly believe there's a scripture that says in Romans, I'm going to end with this. You call things that are not as though they are. And that's what I'm doing this morning. Because I feel God wants to bring some powerful encounters into many people's lives. I speak into someone, I don't want to mention their name, this weekend. And they know who they are and they were telling me about the desire in their heart. And I want to encourage that person. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Amen. He will change completely. God is better than ministering to some of you right now. Even as I've been speaking, I can see it. He's just drawing. He's wooing. He's pulling you. And that's wonderful. And sometimes it comes with a lot of tears. It's okay. Don't worry about the outward manifestations. Don't worry about those. Just let God encounter you. We need encounters. Because once we've encountered him, he will equip us to engage a dying world. We can only engage a dying world. You can only give what you've received. You can't give what you haven't received. And John the Baptist said that you can only receive what is given to you from above. And you can only give that which you've received. And I want to thank all the people in this church that behind the scenes you do a lot of praying. I know some of you, some of you I don't. I know you do a lot of praying. It's vital, it's key in the moment. It really is. We're going to play a song. 
And as we play this song, if you feel you just, in any way you want to respond, you can sit, you can stand, you can kneel, you can come to the front, you can go to the side, whatever you feel, don't feel like, you don't even have to do anything. God knows your heart. But if you feel you just want to somehow just say, God, this is something you, something that was said today has just pulled on my heart. I just want to respond to that. And just, while we're playing the song, just do what you feel you need to do. And if you feel like this morning you want to have lay hands laid on you, would do that. But don't look at the person laying hands on you. Look at the giver of the gift. But something happens when hands are laid on. Something does happen. That's just the way God has ordained it. He uses these human vessels for divine interaction. Amen.